Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. An NFL Hall of Famer, a Heisman Trophy winner, Earl Campbell, said something stunningly racist about white versus black quarterbacks, but barely getting any attention nationwide. Speaking of nationally, everybody in the media thinks the Baltimore Ravens will finally get a loss in the column for the Patriots and upset Bill Belichick's defense. We'll debate this between Baltimore and New England's radio stations in just a bit. Should get feisty there. Home and home radio.com sports original. We are brought to you by zip recruiter. Check them out. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter zip recruiter is the smartest way to hire. November 1st, for me, always a great day. Kids go to school, you steal their bags of candy, you rifle through them to find the good stuff. Yeah, they'll catch you later, but who cares? You'll already have consumed it. Highly recommend the Butterfinger. I'm Dave Briggs, home in Connecticut. We're joined by Joe Shasky. We are coast to coast today. And Joe, What's your go-to candy bar? Do you have like a top three power ranking if you had to choose? I know you don't have kids. You don't have a candy bag to rob from the day after Halloween. If you could, what would you steal? Well, we ask this question at least once a week. We have a segment called Ask Your Butcher, and we have different food topics. And so one of the ones this week was obviously most overrated candy. And I think we all agree most overrated candy it's got to be candy corn. I, I don't know anybody that likes candy corn. For me, no. I mean, give me some M&Ms. I mean, they're the New York Yankees of candy. I mean, who doesn't like M&Ms? They go great in trail mix. They go great standalone. You can sprinkle them over ice cream. They're phenomenal. And then Reese's Pieces, you got to have some Reese's in there. And if I was going to go number three, it's see, this is the key. It's got to be a soft starburst. Soft starburst. I'm going to go red, pink, then yellow. And then we can go with the rest. But, uh, yeah, that's that, that's my candy power rankings right there. You even ranked the flavors of Starburst. That is quality effort. I'm really surprised at the M&M's thing, man. I mean, I'm really surprised at that. That just seems so ubiquitous. I mean, it's so – to your point, <laughs> like they're in trail mix. I mean, how special can it be if it's in trail mix? How do you feel about a Butterfinger? I think Butterfinger is highly – underrated maybe the number one most underrated candy bar there is there's the only issue i have with butterfinger is that oh. it requires two things number one your teeth to be brushed immediately after and you got to have milk with it because it's very difficult to just put down a butterfinger without a little yeah. milk and my wife you know she's cutting me off the two percent milk i gotta switch to the uh to the almond milk i'm on that almond milk uh you know situation right now I i'm not loving it i'm not gonna lie i'm not loving it but you know what my wife wants she gets so that's what's in our refrigerator okay. right now number one it's got to be unsweetened vanilla oh. if you go with the almond milk is that how you rock it i've got the, no i've got i'm trying to get into the camera here i've got the unsweetened organic almond milk but it's plain it's plain it's not mm. the vanilla 
Yeah, she doesn't want me to have any more of the sugars. You know, I work late nights. You know, we, we have a night show. So I'm consuming lots and lots of caffeine and sugar already. You know, I don't drink any alcohol. So those are my vices. And uh, yeah, yeah. So wait you know, a minute. For me, what's that? I think you just said you don't drink any alcohol. And and, and I apologize to you because <laughs> I, I call... I call Fridays, Joe, Bloody Mary Friday, and I tend to sit here and sip on a Bloody Mary as we talk sports here on Home and Home, just five minutes of commercials every hour. What's the deal? Why no alcohol? And how do you, did you ever drink Bloody Marys? No, no. You know, I'm an Irish Catholic and growing up in San Francisco, as a high schooler, I got my party on and uh, it was one of those <laughs> things I had to cut out some, some vices in life as I got into my 20s and... It's honestly made me a happier, more productive individual. I, my wife does all the drinking for the family. She's so much better at parties and happier. And you know me, I'm a curmudgeon. You know, I, I, I talk and entertain for a living these days. So, you know, I like to just sit on the couch and scream at the television. You know, I usually stand and hover over the television looking at sports. I'd rather hang out with the kids, to be honest. I do a lot of coaching. So I'd rather hang out with the kids than the adults nine times out of ten. Joe Shasky with us today from 95.7 The Game. Follow him, ButcherBoy415 on Twitter. Bloody Marys are my thing. It is time. You need to explain to the audience why you are called ButcherBoy. Well, you know, back in the day, I, I didn't go to school for journalism. I don't have a college degree or any of those things. I, I worked in a butcher shop. And back in the day, there used to be a bandsaw. And the name of the bandsaw was the Butcher Boy bandsaw. So I would stand near the phone and I would call into radio stations on the late night or when we were working and I would talk sports. And me and a bunch of the guys in the butcher shop, all the OGs, you know, they dubbed me Butcher Boy. That was kind of my nickname. So that became my mm. caller alias. And when I would call into the local radio stations, they would take my calls. And as my calls got better and better, people would give me more run. And thankfully, my man Damon Bruce got me into a 95-7 the game. And a one-hour hit turned into, you know, why don't you work some weekends? Next thing you know, we got a night show. And so I'm very grateful and appreciative. And, uh, and, and we kind of give the fans a forum because I, I hate when – when other people come to our market and talk about our teams, you know, I, I'm a diehard Niner Giants warrior fan. I've seen it all, been through it all. And there's nothing worse than a guy who just comes, you know, flying into town. He's got a show and he wants to tell you about your team. So we try to connect with the fans and, and talk from a, a, a fan perspective. I got 49er season tickets. I sit in the end zone. I'm one of you. I don't use a press pass. I don't sit with the media. You know, I like the perspective of a true sports fan because at the end of the day, you know, 99.9% .9 of the people that I'm communicating with or that I'm talking to are diehard sports fans. So I, I try to relate to them on, on that level, if that makes sense. I absolutely love it. You love the cheap seats. I love the cheap seats. As a butcher, though, favorite cut of steak? I mean, are you a filet guy, porterhouse, New York? What's your go-to? Well, you know, that's a complicated question. I mean, that's like, who's your favorite child? You know what I mean? That's, you don't have an answer, that's but easy. I would go Chateaubriand. What? <laughs> no, that's easy, man. I would easy, go Chateaubriand. <laughs> I, I like Chateaubriand. It's a top sirloin cut. It's a little thicker. Uh, you throw that bad boy on the grill. You can sear it, throw it in the oven. It's got great huh. marbleization. The price point is good. Uh, if you really want to go insider, insider, you know, A-gap type stuff, if we were talking with Ross Tucker, I would go with the hanger steak. 
The hanger steak is the butcher really? steak. It oxidizes quicker than any of the other steaks, so you're not going to see it at the meat counter. It's one of those ones that back in the day when the butcher would cut the entire animal, now everything's sectioned out and thrown in boxes, but that's what the butcher would bring home for his family. It's got great flavor. Some fantastic cut. I like to marinate it, you know. You got to get your tri-tip on. That's a California thing. I like tri-tip, too. Chateaubriand. Wow, that was not the answer I was expecting. I'm kind of a porterhouse guy. I like, you know, if I happen to be with a dude and I can get the porterhouse for two and you, you slice it up. Oh, man, now I'm hungry as hell. All right, so the things you cover, obviously, you are in in the thick of it. Not many more not many sports markets more interesting than yours right now. In particular, of course, the Niners, which we'll get to again in a moment. But the Golden State Warriors, who looked like they were in the midst of one of the great dynasties in NBA history, and suddenly the hits keep on coming. Klay Thompson out for the season, ACL. KD leaves in free agency, and we'll talk about him in a minute. And then Steph Curry breaks his left hand. He's on the shelf. I'm usually a pessimist, a, a glass half uh, empty kind of guy. But with the Warriors, I guess my reaction was this could be a positive for Golden State. The young guys have to step up. They have to learn how to score. They have to learn how to lead. And the Golden State Warriors with two top 12 players in the NBA could end up with the top 10 pick. This is terrible in the short run. Do you think it can be good for them in the long run? Wow, that's such a loaded question. I from the fans' perspective, it's just devastating. I mean, you you had the greatest five-year run that maybe any NBA team has ever had, five straight finals appearances. And you got to understand what the Warriors were for my entire life. I mean, they were, they were the have-nots my entire life. I mean, they couldn't get anything right. We talk about tanking, and you were referencing the Miami Dolphins a couple hours ago. I mean, the, the Warriors had top lottery picks year after year after year, but because they didn't have the culture, because they didn't have – you know, the infrastructure around all these high draft picks, they, they could never develop anyone. And then eventually, finally, they got the ownership change. They brought in the right coaches. They, they, the culture was there, but it started with Steph Curry getting drafted. And, you know, we, we talk about tanking. He wasn't a number one overall pick. You know, Johnny Flynn and Ricky Rubio went back to back, Minnesota. You know, how's that working out for them? Uh, I think Jordan Hill was taken right before him, the New York Knicks. Thank you. Uh, Steph Curry was the seventh pick overall in the draft. But what they did was they built the organization around him and they drafted Klay Thompson, 11th overall. Like they did a fantastic job identifying developing and then cultivating that development like this all these things don't happen by accident you don't just tank and all of a sudden boom we're good again and they did some amazing jobs signing contracts that were beneficial for the organization and by the time kevin durant hit free agency they got lucky they got lucky because harrison barnes did not take a contract extension and that enabled them to squeeze kevin durant under the salary cap before all of the salary cap expansion. So had they signed Steph Curry a year, two years later, they wouldn't have been able to afford Kevin Durant. And you know, that they, they, they were so, so lucky. But where they're at right now, this is just devastating. They opened a brand new building off the backs of the five-year run. They got all of the season ticket holders to put down money for season ticket licenses to fund Chase Center. They moved from Oakland, East Oakland, down into downtown San Francisco, Mission Bay, a relatively new neighborhood in San Francisco. And there's a lot of backlash because, like I said, 
The Bay Area has two sides. You got all the people in San Francisco, Marin, Peninsula, and then you got the East Bay fan, Oakland, Walnut Creek, Livermore, that entire. And usually we don't root for the same teams. There's Giants on one side, A's on the other. Raiders on one side, Niners on the other. Well, this is the one team that unites the entire Bay Area. And yet when they moved into San Francisco, there was a backlash. And so now with this injury, it's just it's just devastating on multiple fronts. Economically, you're already seeing seats for Friday night, tonight's game for $45. A brand new downtown San Francisco arena with seats for 45 bucks on StubHub. Like I just I couldn't comprehend that just six months ago. And in the last Golden State Warrior games that matter, not preseason, but games that matter, last six games, they've lost Kevin Durant. They've lost Klay Thompson, they've lost Kevon Looney, and they've lost Steph Curry. I, I just can't think of a situation where a basketball team lost that many superstars. Now, Kevon Looney's not a superstar, but he's very important to what they're doing. This is devastating. Could it be a blessing in disguise because they could develop young players, get a high draft pick? Yes. But the other side of this is, dude, I, if I'm putting down money as a season ticket holder, I, I kind of want some return on my investment. You you asked me for twenty grand up front. Where where's that? Can you meet me in the middle and compete for a couple of years, uh, a couple of months? Like in February, I get it. If you're you know forty games out, yeah, shut it down. You know, lock it in. Try to get a lottery pick. There's seventy eight games left, Dave. Seventy eight games. What are you you're just gonna tank for the entire season? Like the, the competitor in me and the the knowing what an athlete goes through, knowing what a fan base goes through, that's just unacceptable. It's not, it's November 1st. You can't tank the whole season. Boy, clearly the local perspective does not share my glass half full optimistic (laughs) perspective for the Golden State Warriors. Great to hear the honesty and the fan perspective though from the Golden State Warriors. Joe Shasky with us from 95-7 The Game. I can't think of a baseball, football, basketball, hockey team that's had consecutive bang, 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 devastating blows to an organization. Maybe our researchers, millennials. Joe, we call them the millennials. Get on it. Tell us the biggest postseason, offseason, next season, devastating blows. Is this the worst ever? You mentioned the departure of Kevin Durant, and now we're learning more about the departure of Kevin Durant because he was on ESPN yesterday talking with Stephen A. Smith and company about why he left the organization. He is now with the Brooklyn Nets, rehabbing that injury. Will he be back this year? Probably not. Probably next year as Kyrie will have to carry the load and light it up for Brooklyn. But what Kevin Durant said, boy, I can't help but wonder how it's going to go over in the Bay Area. He talked about an incident with Stephen A. Smith last year against the Clippers. And it was an ugly back and forth between Durant and Draymond Green when Draymond blew up on KD, reportedly calling him a bitch multiple times before dropping the real bombshell on KD, that they don't need Durant, that they had won without him, and that Durant should go ahead and leave as a free agent. That was the exchange between Draymond Green and Kevin Durant, and Durant acknowledged That is part of the reason he left the Golden State Warriors, wanted to go out on his own, join up with Kyrie Irving and the Brooklyn Nets, and there will be a fascinating team next season when they're all healthy. Joe, how will that go over 
with the Warriors fan base in terms of their relationship with Draymond Green, who is a very complicated player in and of himself? Dave, Draymond Green is beloved by Golden State Warrior fans, but I also think, I think time might change how we look at Draymond Green. This season in particular, with no Steph Curry, no Klay Thompson, I think it's going to expose Draymond on many levels. Look, last year when the whole incident went down, I, I do all the work. We do the show after the Warriors post games. I said it right then and there. I said, you got to trade Draymond Green. Like, Draymond Green is very important to the, what the Warriors want to do. Kevin Durant is a top 15 all-time talent in the history of the NBA. And just from a personal level, just from a, like a work situation, if you were addressed in the manner with which Draymond Green addressed Kevin Durant, what co-worker would, would not have issue with that? I, it doesn't make any sense. You cannot talk to someone like that. And then, like, this is the equivalent of Horace Grant or even someone lesser than that, Tony Kukoc or whatever, like undressing Michael Jordan because that's what Kevin Durant is. He's that talented. And I know people might roll their eyes. He's a unicorn. The guy's a seven-foot unicorn who can yak in anyone's face, pull up a jumper. He's unbelievable. Like the guy's an all-time talent. And this guy undressed him in front of millions of people, and, and he said things that you just can't take back. When you get in an argument with a friend, a family member, your wife, whatever it is, and you say something that you just can't forget, and, and it just it changes the relationship forever. In my opinion, the Warriors tried to suspend Draymond. They tried to, like, say, hey, look, here you go. We slapped him on the wrist, uh, Kevin Durant. We, we want to side with you, but they should have traded him right away because there's a couple elements. It's a, it's a salary cap league. You only have so many moves. Right now, the Warriors are hard capped, and they're stuck with Draymond Green. He makes $20 million this year, okay? And that was great when he was a glue guy, when you had Durant, when you had Klay Thompson, when you had Steph Curry. When he's by himself, that is an anchor contract. He makes 20 to 30 million over the next four years. They gave him an extension. He's already got an injured back. Like we, we know that he bangs with guys six inches bigger than him, 40 pounds heavier than him. He's gonna break down. He's never been the same since the shoulder injury. Like I, I love Draymond. I love what he represents. The guy competes. He's a lunatic. He has to walk that tight line, you know, to, to get himself fired up. I understand that the entire country probably hates his guts, and I get it. But I go with the Bill Walsh theory. It's better to get rid of someone a year or two early than to hang on through the glory years. Look what happened with the Lakers when they were stuck with Kobe Bryant and they were trying to force that down everybody's throat. It set them back four or five years. The same thing with the Warriors. They should have moved off the Draymond last year. Now, Kevin Durant might have left them anyway, but they would at least have some financial flexibility to build this roster out around them. Like, again, I love Draymond Green. But you don't pay someone 20 to $30 million over the next five years to be a glue guy because that's really what he is. That's some outstanding local perspective from Joe Shasky on Draymond Green and the role he may have played in the departure of Kevin Durant. And before we move on, I want to talk about Joel Embiid and Carl Anthony Towns in just a sec. But how did the fan base out there embrace Kevin Durant? Well, <laughs> Different pockets felt different things. I was one mm. of the people saying every single night, I'm just so happy because, again, my Warriors were a lottery team every single year of my life. They literally were the worst-run franchise across sports. Like, it was them and the Tampa Bay Bucks and the Cleveland Browns. Like, you can't get any worse than that. When he came here, it was surreal. I was so happy. I was so proud. And I was appreciative because he put us over the top. We don't win these last two titles uh, without Kevin Durant coming to the Warriors. And so I understood per the perspective. 
There was another set of fans that, you know, they love Steph and Steph can do no wrong. For some reason, they felt like it was either Steph or Kevin Durant that you had to give love to. I always thought, you know, my God, well, why do we have to split this thing up? Can't we appreciate all of them equally? Can't we appreciate them all simultaneously? Why does one person have to get more love than the other? Like, it's a pie of, of love that I'm giving out. I can dice it up a million different ways. I, I don't understand why you have to pick and choose. Like, it, it, basketball is a game where you play with teammates. It, it, Michael Jordan didn't win by himself. Kawhi Leonard didn't win the championship last year by himself. LeBron James, when he beat them on Father's Day in 2016, he didn't win by himself. He had a really good team. Kyrie Irving hit unbelievable shots. Richard Jefferson killed them, for crying out loud. So I just never understood the backlash against Kevin Durant, and I felt like it was more fueled by social media. And that the, the people that I associate with, like when I go to like, I coach a lot of basketball. When I go out, everybody that I talk to in the real world, they love Kevin Durant. They're like, I cannot believe he came to the Warriors. Can you believe this? This is unbelievable. And then on social media, you have this small vocal minority that's like, he's a snake. Oh, he only came here to bandwagon ride. And I just, there's a huge disconnect between social media and the real world. And I just, I don't get why Kevin Durant is so insecure to where he literally can only listen to what's on social media. Dude, hit the mute button. You are a billionaire. Put the phone down for a few minutes. But I guess he's a millennial, and that's how they roll these days. Stay off of social media. Could not agree with you more. Speaking of social media, an on-the-court brawl got even more interesting on social media between Carl Anthony Towns and Joel Embiid. They're both suspended. We'll talk about that in just a sec. But first, hiring can be a slow process. Cafe Altura CEO Dylan Miskowitz needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company. Instead of just hiring me, I'm a coffee expert. He, was, uh, he went to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on quality candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said he was impressed how quickly he had great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones Nailed it in just a few days. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our exclusive web address. It is ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. Or for you spelling majors, E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. And the smartest way to get your ass suspended in the NBA is do what Carl Anthony Towns and Joel Embiid did the other night. Boy, did they get a brawl on between the Wolves and the Sixers. And these two have a lot of history. They clearly don't like each other much. And there were some blows exchanged. There was a thumb in the eye. There was a headlock from Ben Simmons. Um, Simmons did not get suspended, by the way. But Embiid... And Carl Anthony Towns each got suspended two games for their fight. I'm surprised it wasn't more. It really got interesting, though, on social media when it was clear this is no show. These two genuinely do not like each other, do not respect each other, can't wait until their game in March. Not until March, unfortunately. Here's what Joel Embiid tweeted, and this is a long exchange, back and forth, back and forth, and Embiid stuck the landing with this one. 
that tough guy act ain't cutting it. You know what you are? You know what you've always been? A pussy. Say it louder for people in the back been kicking your ass and pretty please make the playoffs before you talk. It's a known thing that I own you. Adding Carl Anthony Towns. Brutal, savage, on the court, off the court. And quite frankly, the trend in the NBA the last several years, at least in the LeBron James, Steph Curry era, is of friendships, jersey exchanges, hugs, sharing agents, and of course the infamous banana boat ride between a bunch of NBA superstars. To me, I was thrilled to see two guys genuinely hate each other, genuinely fighting on and off the court. It reminded me of the days when I grew up watching the NBA with the physical nasty Knicks, with Bill Lambeer and the bad boy Celtics, when guys genuinely didn't like each other, when they weren't afraid to throw some punches, when they weren't afraid to dislike each other off the court, who gives a crap if they share the same agent? I like to see the physicality and the hatred a little bit back in the game. The Sixers and the Celtics, I think, is one of the great new rivalries. Well, old rivalries renewed, rather. These two genuinely hate each other. They had more than 60 personal fouls earlier this year. Do you like to see this physicality, the fighting, and the bitterness uh, in the NBA, or do you prefer banana boat rides? I mean, who doesn't love this? I love that we've got villains. Sports needs villains. One of my favorite players of all time is Barry Bonds. You know, he's a hero to us. He's a villain to everybody else in the entire country, but he's our villain. So there's something to be said for that. I, I love rivalries. Here, here's where I, I, I just kind of roll my eyes because these guys that are Twitter gangsters, it's like, come on, man. Like you, you, you referenced the old Pistons. Rick Mahorn really was that tough. Charles Oakley really is that tough. You don't want to mess with those guys. Carl Anthony Towns and Joel Embiid, they just be talking. They just talking and talking and chirping and tweeting and, you know, with the Twitter fingers and whatnot. And that part is just funny to me. I roll my eyes because these guys are all rocking skinny jeans and they're the 1% of the 1% of the 1%. Like they've been coddled for so many years of their life. They're not tough. They're not street. Like you guys are literally living better than everybody who's watching the game. That being said, I love, I love that there's at least an element of competitiveness here because that's what we miss. I love guys like Patrick Beverly. I I know a lot of people get annoyed by like players like him, but his story, his journey, his grit, the way he plays with his pants on fire, screaming and yelling, he is a great villain and he's a great competitor. And I am I love what he embodies. Joel Embiid, look, the guy is completely hilarious on social media. That being said, he talks way too much. Like for a guy who hasn't won anything, I do find it pretty funny how much he chirps. And yet in all the big games, he evaporates. He's a seven foot giant who wants to bomb three pointers in closeout games. Like, what are we doing here? And then Carl Anthony Towns, you got completely owned by Jimmy Butler. You're, you've done nothing with the Minnesota Timberwolves. You're a complete disappointment. You're one of the all-time unicorn-type players who can put the ball on the floor. You're seven foot tall. You can stroke threes. You can go by people. And you can't get Minnesota to 38 wins? Like, I, I, both of these guys drive me nuts, but it is compelling theater. Sign me up for it. I'm all about it. But it's just all the other stuff. Like, you guys aren't really that tough. Like, stop it. If you guys want to go at each other on the court, I'm all for it. But it's not like you're really going to go knock on his door and knock him out. Charles Oakley will knock on your door and knock you out if he truly wanted to. 
Yes, Oak would definitely knock your knock on your door and knock you out. Uh, I am here for it too. I've got some popcorn ready for that March game between. <laughs> I mean, an, an ordinarily a rivalry. Who cares about the Sixers and the Wolves? But suddenly, I'm interested in it. So two game suspensions for the two superstars. As I mentioned, no suspension for Ben Simmons. We've got a photo of his quote, and this is his quote: <laughs> "Peacekeeping role." He said he was playing peacekeeper there. No suspension for him. That's Simmons. For those of you watching on the radio.com app and not just listening, Simmons has Carl Anthony Towns in the headlock. Is he a peacekeeper there, Joe? Oh, my God. I don't know what he is. He's pulling a Van Gundy, except instead of holding on to the ankle, he's holding on to the neck. I love these still photos of fights. I mean, this is the stuff I live for. All the little stuff after the fact. A few years ago, the, the San Francisco Giants got into a fight, and Michael Morse came sprinting out of the dugout. And if you remember correctly, Jeff Samar just speared him. And Michael Morse's career was over. He got hurt because his own teammate accidentally speared him in a fight. I'm all for these kind of fights. These are hilarious. I love these kerfluffles, whatever you want to call them. No, he's not playing peacekeeper. He's in there trying to get his little jabs. Again, these guys want to have their cake and eat it too. Just either you hate the Timberwolves or you don't. Stop this back and forth because you don't want to get crushed. Like, have a stance. Stick with it. It's not the end of the world. Guys get in fights. It's called creative tension. It happens every single day. You're in a machismo sport like basketball. I'm surprised there's not more fights. Bring it on. Give us more fights in the NBA. Not likely to happen. Those are good fights we agree on. I don't like the fight that Earl Campbell started off the field. Earl Campbell, the NFL great, the Hall of Famer, the Heisman Trophy winner, the University of Texas Heisman Trophy winner, spoke to the Austin Statesman earlier this week and said something flat-out racist that you probably have not heard because it's not getting any attention nationwide. Here is what Earl Campbell said. Until the University of Texas realizes you have to have a black quarterback and nothing against Ellinger, Sam Ellinger, you got to have a talented black quarterback. All these schools that are winning, even in the pros, have black quarterbacks. When guys are not open, something can still happen. Let's just call this what it is. It is flat out racist. It is stunning that this story is not an enormous national story. What if Joe, Matt Leinert, Carson Palmer said USC always should have a white quarterback because they need someone who can be calm under pressure and understand complex offenses? Was this flat-out racist, and why is it not getting more nationwide attention? Is it just more evidence of a double standard? I mean, that's a loaded gun. Who knows? I don't even know what frame of mind this guy was in. I don't really have a huge, yep. you know, history of Texas program in general. Like, th- probably the greatest quarterback of all time I could think of from Texas was Vince Young, who happened to be a black quarterback. Here's the, th- well, the issue that I have. And, and, and this is this – is, Sports is supposed to be about true democracy. Like, if you can ball out, it doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what you do in your off time. It doesn't matter who you date, who you love. Like, if you can ball, you can play. So 
I've always had an issue with anybody saying that I need a quarterback who's white or I need a running back who's black or whatever you're trying to give me. Like, no, I want the best athlete. I want the best player, regardless of race, regardless of religion, gender. I don't care what it is. Like, that's the beauty of sports. And that's why I love sports. It's about the best competitors at the highest level. Whoever can play, that's who gets the chance. And, and that's, I don't understand where he's going with this one. And again, that's why I, I don't, I'm not trying to be reckless with the speculation. What was his yeah. frame of mind? Where did he come from with this? Is this just a quote? Was this a video interview? Like, I need more information on this. But clearly, he's completely out of his mind. I wonder about his sanity at an old age. Uh, is this something that he was even aware of what he was saying? Now, Texas context, Texas has dropped a third straight game. They're out of the top 25. But he says even in the pros, I mean, apparently not aware of the GOAT, Tom Brady, the other GOAT, Drew Brees, <laughs> another GOAT-like quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, pretty decent white quarterbacks in the NFL. I did look up an interesting stat, though. Uh, the second winningest quarterback in the history of college football, maybe he forgot about Colt McCoy, second winningest <laughs> QB in NCAA history with 45 wins at the University of Texas. But here's an interesting stat, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that Earl Campbell is correct at all. Top five winningest quarterbacks in, co in collegiate history. Here they are, Joe. Kellen Moore, white, oh, yeah. 50, and, 50 and three. Colt McCoy, second. Andy Dalton is third. White. David Green is white, 42 and 10. Peyton Manning is also white, 39 and six. So your top five winningest quarterbacks in NCAA history are white. But here's the thing. They combined for how many Heisman trophies and how many national championships? Goose egg. Wow. It is, it is amazing. More? Zero. Not Zero? a single not a single national championship and not a single Heisman trophy among those top five winningest NCAA quarterbacks, wow. all white. Just, just an interesting um, statistic to put out there. I'm, I'm not sure what it means. And maybe I stirred up the horn and hornet's nest more than I should have. Yo. But this is this is my issue with sports. And, like, we've seen this with, like, here's a great example. The 49ers have Nick Bosa right now. And everybody, like, I, I do these radio shows, and I'm listening, and I'm saying, well, who's the comp? What's the NFL comp? And people can only list other white guys. And I'm saying, guys, look at his build. Look at the way he plays stylistically. I said, he is Michael Strahan 2.0, 6'4 and a half, 255 pounds, chiseled, you know, tiny little waist. And everyone's like, whoa, Michael Strahan, he looks more like Joey Bosa. I'm like, really, we're going to do the white guy on white guy thing? Like, we can't compare across races? Like, that? that's abso absolutely absurd. The same thing happened with Christian McCaffrey when Christian McCaffrey was coming out. You know, he's a Stanford guy right down here on the farm. I said, Christian McCaffrey is Marshall Falk 2.0. I saw Marshall Falk when he played for the St. Louis Rams. He'd roll into candlestick, and he would destroy the 49ers. He was a chess piece. He could run on the outside. He could run on the inside. And yet everybody was saying, like, I don't know, man. Maybe he's maybe he's like Toby Gerhardt or Craig Hodges. I'm like, really? We can't do cross-racial comparisons on players and whatnot? Like, just take away the skin. Like, I don't understand why that even has to be in the in the discussion. If you can ball, you can ball. I, I, I this this part drives me completely nuts. And look, there, there's a, a here's a great example. Jacoby Brissett. I mean, is he a fast quarterback? Absolutely not. But he's damn good. And you know what? He will crush you from the pocket like. 
I, I don't understand why we have to make these stereotypes and these generalizations. And it's only when it comes to race. It, it drives me nuts. It's something Cam Newton has faced throughout his entire career, needless to say. Some pretty significant news coming out just moments ago regarding Cam Newton, his present and his future with the Carolina Panthers. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And also a debate between WEEI and our friends in Baltimore as well from 105.7 The Fan. Who wins this Patriots-Ravens matchup? Tom Brady and Lamar Jackson this is as good as it gets in the NFL. We will debate who wins that after a quick break here on Home and Home. The unstoppable force versus the unmovable object. Patriots 8-0 at the 5-2 Ravens and Lamar Jackson on Sunday. New England a field goal favorite in what should be easily the game of the week in the NFL. We can't wait for it. Let's debate who wins this one. One of the great things we can do here on Home and Home is go to our affiliates across the country, and we've got them both lined up. Jerry Coleman from 105.7 The Fan in Baltimore. Mike Mutnansky from WEEI in Boston. Fellas, appreciate you being here. It's Dave Briggs. It's Joe Shasky, the Butcher Boy. We can't wait for this game. A lot of smack talk back and forth. The surprising thing to me is the national media is loving the Ravens in this game. Every time I refresh my Twitter feed, someone's taking them not just with the points, but just to win this game outright. But what does the New England Patriots and that locker room who loves to put a chip on their shoulder, what do they make of the narrative? Uh, Dave, Patriot fans are used to it because uh, the national media wants the Patriots to go away. The national guys are picking them because they're sick of the Patriots, they're sick of Brady, they're sick of Belichick, they want a new story, and Lamar Jackson is a new story. That Ravens offense looks like really nothing we've seen in the last couple of years in the NFL, maybe since Colin Kaepernick, and this has gone on for a long time. The next team on the block that looks like a team that could hit, beat the Patriots, the media wants them to win because they're sick of Brady. Dave, you know that. Come on. I do know that. I've seen that for many years, my time there in Boston as well. Uh, all right, Jerry. So Nick Boyle opens up his mouth, and I know we probably make too much of this stuff, but he says, we'll see how good they are once we play them. I don't think they've seen anyone like our offense or like Lamar. Now, that is a fact. They haven't played anyone. But was that a huge mistake for a New England team that lives for this kind of material? I don't think so, because I think they've heard this kind of stuff before. And it's probably not just the media that doesn't like the Patriots. It's probably most of the NFL fans out there, either out of jealousy or out of the fact that they feel like their team is better, which for the most part, they haven't been. Nick Boyle's comments, I think, were innocent. I don't think the Patriots have seen an offense like this. Certainly, Bill Belichick came out and admitted they've never faced a quarterback with the speed that Lamar Jackson possesses. I still think they're going to come up with a way to try and contain him. So it'll be interesting to see this chess match between the Ravens offense and Bill Belichick's defense. That, to me, is going to be the most intriguing aspect of this game. All right, Mud, I got to ask you about Tom Brady. He's a local boy from Sarah High School here in San Mateo. So we've always kind of been watching from afar. We know he hates the 49ers for not taking him in the draft 20 years ago. But, but I'm watching this guy right now, and I'm saying something's just off. The passing game's off. He's not the perfect Tom Brady that I expect. What's going on with that offense? What do you mean, Joe? You take away Rob Gronkowski, a Hall of Fame tight end, and it's supposed to look the same? I, I think that's been the issue. People did not realize, even around here, 
how important Gronk is going to be to that offense. And so when you take away somebody who guarded so much attention there in the middle of the field, you had to put a linebacker on him, safety over the top. It freed up Edelman, it freed up Dorsett, it freed up backs out of the backfield. And so without him there, boy, it's been a lot tougher for Tom Brady. And the offensive line has been a big issue. Sunday night when they go to Baltimore, that offensive line has to play their best game of the year. Brady has been under pressure throughout. There's been a lot of throws, including last week in the win, where he's just getting rid of the ball, man. He's just getting rid of the ball because he knows he's in trouble. Romo made that point on the broadcast on Sunday. He called it a winning play when Brady threw it away instead of taking a sack. So I think it's a lack of Gronk, Joe. I think it's the offensive line that's been an issue, and they cannot run the football to save their life. It's going to be a major issue for them going forward if they can't start to run the football better. Jerry, we all know the one thing Bill Belichick does better than anyone in the history of this game is take away that one thing that you do well. Clearly, this is the one thing he wants to stop them from doing is let Lamar Jackson get around the edge. He's rushed for an average of 100-plus yards the last three weeks, but he's only thrown one touchdown, three interceptions over that span. So clearly, he wants to make Lamar Jackson beat them with his arm. Is he capable of doing that? I think that's going to be a very difficult task for Lamar, even being at home because of the fact that his best receiver, Marquise Brown, hasn't played since October the 6th, been limited all week in practice with this ankle injury. Again, he's the top offensive threat outside of Lamar. Who else does Lamar turn to? His other safety blanket has been Mark Andrews, the tight end. He's got Mark Ingram behind him, a couple of weapons to work with. But that's been the problem with this Ravens offense. Not enough weapons, even though they're running the ball as well as anyone in the National Football League. The passing game still has room for improvement, and that's why they need someone else besides Andrews or Brown to step up. Maybe it's Willie Sneed in the slot. Maybe it's a guy uh, who's come out of nowhere like Hayden Hurst, uh, a draft pick from a few years ago who was taken in the first round even before Lamar, who really hasn't done much since he arrived. Or maybe it's the other rookie wide receiver, Miles Boykin, who had a big 50-yard catch in Seattle a few weeks ago before the bye. But someone else besides Lamar needs to take hold of this offense. All right, Mud, I feel like we're, we're bearing the lead here because the number one fantasy player in all of fantasy football is the New England Patriots defense. I mean, McCourty, <laughs> Stephon Gilmore has been absolutely unbelievable. I mean, obviously, Belichick's now calling plays for the defense because Brian Flores is gone. But I want to ask you about Stephon Gilmore because here in San Francisco, we're talking about Nick Bosa for Defensive Player of the Year. And the only guy I can think of across the country who's even in the conversation is Stephon Gilmore. How good is he? And is he getting that same traction up in New England? I, I think he's very good. I think the the example I would make on how much traction he's getting right now, Joe, is that we were talking last night about this defense and how good they are. Statistically, they're on pace to be as good as that 2000 Baltimore Ravens defense. But then you start thinking about, do they have any Hall of Famers? And the one guy who right now on this team would garner the most Hall of Fame attention is Stephon Gilmore. They got him from Baltimore. Everyone at the time thought it was kind of a leverage play against Malcolm Butler. And Belichick didn't want to spend the money there. He has been awesome. He essentially takes away one side of the field. He's the best cornerback they've had since Ty Law. He's great in man-to-man coverage. He takes on fast receivers, big receivers. He's lined up against athletic tight ends before. He's a great tackler. He has really been everything that Ty Law was. That's as high as a praise you can give a cornerback here in New England. And when that guy can take away your best receiver, uh, and maybe it is Hollywood Brown for the, the Ravens on Sunday, it makes life very difficult for opposing offenses. And he's been a big part of it, but 
The entire group has completely outperformed any of my expectations. I think most Patriot fans' expectations for you know what they've done. They score a touchdown, Joe, every week. It's been ridiculous. <laughs> Talking to WEEI's Mike Butnansky and 105.7 The Fans' Jerry Coleman debating who wins the Baltimore-New England game on Sunday. Jerry, it's been a simple schedule for this Patriots team, a winning percentage of .259 for their opponents. How good are the Patriots on defense? How bad has the schedule been? I think the schedule's been pretty poor, and I think a lot of people in New England would recognize their season starts on Sunday night in Baltimore. It's been a uh, tiptoe through the tulips so far in the first eight games. I think a lot of people feel that way. Ravens have played some lightweights as well, starting with Miami and then Arizona. Uh, they did lose to a Cleveland team that New England took care of. So that's been something that's been brought up all week here. But I'll remind people in Baltimore, the Patriots have won 13 straight going back to the postseason. They're still the champs until you knock them off. I think the Ravens are certainly capable of doing that. But the narrative has really changed over the years. It used to be the Patriots offense against the vaunted Ravens defense. And now it's flip-flop with the Ravens up-and-coming offense led by Lamar Jackson going up against this Patriots defense, which is on a record pace, as Mutt pointed out. All right, Mutt, as much as I want to talk about place kickers and get super geeky with you, let's be honest, nobody cares about kickers in the kicking game. Let's talk about Tom Brady. The guy put his house up for sale. Is this the final season in New England? Uh, I think unless Bob Kraft stands in, Joe, uh, and makes the call, I think it will be. There, there's been a lot there. And forget the house. Uh, forget the little breadcrumbs he's left like Hansel and Gretel's trail this year about his happiness with the offense and wanting them to be better. He made sure last year that they could not franchise tag him this year. And I think that was the sign that, look, uh, I do not want to be beholden to what this team is going to do. There are going to be offers out there for him. I think in your neck of the woods, the Chargers are a team. If they clean house, they'd be interested. Get Brady back to, to L.A. to sell that TV 12 brand. His buddy Mike Vrabel coached the Titans. There's a big two- or three-year deal waiting for Brady out there. And I think Kraft wants to pay him. I don't know if Belichick does. They've had two years to get a deal done with this guy. And two years ago, they gave him this $5 million show-me-the-skills, the Tom, contract. Uh, and this year, they couldn't get a deal done. So I think Bob Kraft, if he has his way, has the deal long-term, has Brady for three more years till he plays till he's 45. If it ends up being Bill's call, I think Bill doesn't want to pay a quarterback of Brady's age, $25, $26, $30 million a year. Would he play somewhere else and where? I think he would. And this is a guy that has been, uh, I think, the most, uh, one of the most uh, fierce competitors we've seen in our lifetime in sports. Six-round pick. I don't need to tell you guys the story again. But a couple of years ago, they drafted Joe, your guy, Jimmy Garoppolo. He saw the writing on the wall that they were sort of challenging him, and he played his best football he had played in the last couple of years. He, he's got this brand, TB12, that people around the league think is insane, that you should use these bands instead of weights. You should uh, drink a lot of water and do pliability and make yourself pliable. This is going to be his life after football, and he put his name and his career and his reputation on the line with this. I don't think he's going to be feel like he has to lock into the Patriots. I don't think he's scared of going to play somewhere else. I think he's very confident in himself. He's shown that in his career and in business. And if they want to ask him to take a pay cut or ask him to take a below-market deal— and the Chargers or one of these teams offers real money, like a Drew Brees contract, two years, 50 million bucks, why wouldn't he play somewhere else? He's He's been confident as anyone we've ever seen in sports. All right, Jerry, I want to ask you about John Harbaugh. I mean, I watched this guy go up against his brother, Jim. 
and my 49ers in the Super Bowl. And he just outcoached them. And he's won in such a variety of ways. He's had a statue quarterback in Joe Flacco. He's had really good defenses. Now he's totally changing the game with Lamar Jackson. Does John Harbaugh get the love he properly deserves around the league and in the city of Baltimore? I think he gets more love outside the city of Baltimore than he does here. He's been heavily criticized going back a year ago. A lot of people thought his job might be in jeopardy. In comes Lamar Jackson to save it going 7-1, and one, and they make the playoffs. He gets a contract extension, now one of the highest-paid coaches in the NFL right there with Belichick. Uh, this guy, for 11 years, has produced nothing but, but winners here in Baltimore, and he's a leader. And I think he has a lot better demeanor than his brother to deal with the players and deal with the fan base here. Uh, he's got tremendous job security. He's got a great rapport with the new GM, Eric DaCosta, and the owner, Steve Bishotti. So he's on firm ground here in Baltimore, as opposed to a year ago at this time when there were a lot of question marks about his future. They, they had him get rid of his offensive coordinator, Marty Morningweg. He brings in an, another guy who's connected to the family and Greg Roman, and we'll see what Greg Roman has dialed up on Sunday night for this team. All right. I hope we can stop being so cordial to one another. I want you both to say why your team wins. What's the, what's your prediction and why do they win? Mutt, let me start with you. Why do the Patriots kick the Ravens' ass on Sunday? I, I wish it was going to be an ass kicking. I think Patriot fans want to see that. But I think Jerry said it earlier. This is their biggest test, guys. And this is the first losable game they've had. It's losable because Harbaugh is a legit coach and Lamar Jackson is a legit quarterback. There are very few of those combinations in football. However, Bill Belichick is still a better coach than Harbaugh, and he is going to take away Lamar Jackson's uh, big plays in the running game and make him a passer. He didn't have a great completion percentage in Seattle. They still won the game. Uh, he will not throw the ball well. And because of that, big pick late, big turnover late, Patriots win. I think it's like 23-20, 20-17, somewhere in there. But they will make Lamar Jackson as one-dimensional as he's been all year. And he's not been a great passer the last couple of weeks. Jerry. Well, I know you guys don't care about kickers too much, especially with Steven Goskowski not around anymore in New England. Ravens have the greatest of all time right now in Justin Tucker. If it comes down to a field goal and they're within 50, 55 yards, they're going to win that game. Can Lamar Jackson make a difference on Sunday night? I'm very interested, as is every Ravens fan, to see what he can do against his defense because we've seen him get to the second level of defenses before. Can he do it against the Patriots? And I think that will wake up the entire NFL and the fan bases around there that the Ravens are to be taken for real. Hang on. I'm not hearing a definitive answer. Can he do it? <laughs> you're, you're couching it a little bit. You're, you're straddling the damn fence. Will he do it? Yes or no? I did not pick the Ravens here locally. I did not. <laughs> I did not. I have to be honest. He did. I'm not a he homer. Knows. I'm just not. That's the way it is. I show my face every Monday at the complex, ask the coach all the questions that need to be asked. I have the Patriots winning. I could see the Ravens pulling the upset. If they do, like I said, they will have me as a believer. I'll get a hold of the bandwagon. I'll grab a handlebar and take them the rest of the way towards December. I think you got to suffer some humiliation, right? I mean, I think you need to really take your lumps if you picked against your team and they go win. Don't you, Mutt? Don't you think you need some abuse if that happens? There, I don't want to see Jerry. I don't want to hear Jerry on the air Monday taking a victory lap if Lamar Jackson doesn't <laughs> play well. Because we'll play back this segment where he said, oh, the kicker is good, but they still might not win the game. So he doesn't, no credit if they win for Jerry. Absolutely zero. None. 
I won't, Jerry, I won't be you... looking for credit Monday. I will not be looking for any credit because I'm already on the record here on Radio.com and on the local radio on 1057 The Fan. The fans know where I stand and where I live, unfortunately. I, I'm on the record, too. I frankly think New England wins this by 10 or more points. I don't think Lamar Jackson has the arm talent to beat a Bill Belichick defense. Not this one with Gilmore and McCourty and others. And the last thing before we go, uh, McCourty did say the one thing he likes about this game is they don't like each other. Uh, Jerry, how much, I don't know if it's hatred, but how much do these two teams dislike one another? Well, there is some dislike. I think uh, the Patriots feel like the Ravens had a hand in Deflategate along with the Colts, so maybe there's some distrust there. But whenever Coach Harbaugh and Belichick are seen together at a lacrosse game, it's like they're holding hands and singing Kumbaya and roasting marshmallows by the campfire. But when they get to the stadium, it's completely different. Without Terrell Suggs around, though, to harass Tom Brady, I think this has lost a little luster. It's a new era with Lamar coming in. And Mutt, do you do you sense that these two don't like each other much? I get the sense that Harbaugh has been a baby in some of these games. Remember that game where the Patriots ran that formation and he's running out to yep. the refs and he's doing this. I mean, he, there's another play where he didn't know the rules. He was late in center to kick her out in the game in New England. I think the dislike is definitely more in the front offices and maybe the coaching staff than it is the players. Because there's no doubt the Ravens were front and center when it came to uh, Deflategate a couple of years ago. And Harbaugh has taken some subtle shots about the rule book and everything else, like the Patriots are cheaters. So that definitely still exists. From a player standpoint, I I'm with Jerry. I think it's more about the coaching staffs and the organizations maybe not being as friendly as they once were. All right, so Mike Mutnansky and Jerry Coleman both think the Patriots will win, <laughs> as do I. We appreciate you both being here. I hope you will appear on one another's program next week to talk about this one. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate the time. And you'll Thank have you this back for the AFC Championship rematch, right? We'll be there. Uh, well, right. yeah, I mean, the Chiefs will be there, yeah. Yeah, that'll be good, Chiefs <laughs> in New England. Oh, you can okay. watch Kansas City play in that one. No, thank you, fellas. We appreciate it. Look forward to the game as well. All right, uh, Butcher Boy, got to ask you your thoughts on this game. I, I, I just think the New England defense up against Lamar Jackson, I love watching the guy. I think he's electric. I think he's entertaining. I just don't think he has the arm talent to beat that defense. What do you think happens? Well, the strength of the New England defense is in the secondary. So I don't know if you want to throw the ball into this secondary. I think you want to run the ball a lot. Uh, that being said, I know Greg Roman. Believe me, Greg Roman was the offensive coordinator for Jim Harbaugh during the Colin Kaepernick era, during the Alex Smith eras. And every single big game, the offense just got completely bottled up. I mean, there's a couple here and there where they exploded. Uh, the Green Bay game, for example, where Colin Kaepernick ran for 180 yards. But he... He just he has a penchant for leaving you wanting more. And Greg Roman just he drives me nuts as an offensive coordinator. I give him a ton of credit because what he's done now is he's learned his error of the ways. He tried to turn Colin Kaepernick into a spread out all these wide receivers, pocket quarterback, when he should have just kept running the guy. You know, throw subtly, run the hell out of him, utilize his strengths. And he's done that with Lamar Jackson. It'll be interesting to see Belichick and the chess match that's going on here. But when Mutt was saying that Tom Brady's going to go to the San Diego Chargers or the L.A. Chargers in the offseason, I, I got to say, I had a major issue with that. There is no way in hell Tom Brady is leaving Bob Kraft and Bill Belichick to go play for Dean Spanos, the cheapest owner outside of Mark Davis in all of professional sports. Like, there is no way – I will bet my house here in San Francisco – 
that there's no way in hell Tom Brady goes to play for the Los Angeles Chargers. I, I just, I will never believe that. No way in hell. I want to disagree with you, man, because it's better when we disagree and fight. But I completely agree with you. No way, no how he goes to play for that organization with that shitty fan base. They literally can't fill a 30,000-person stadium. And Brady's going to go play there. I think the only team he would go play for is San Francisco. But it looks like they've got a pretty good quarterback in Jimmy G because he got a great coach, great defense, good organization, better fan base, close to his home. Only Jimmy G is there. So, yeah, I think Brady, I think he calls it a career after this, after winning his seventh Super Bowl. Sorry for all the New England haters out there. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, the latest on left tackle Trent Williams and his holdout with the Washington Redskins. He did return to the team this week, but a stunning revelation about how the team may have kept cancer from Trent Williams, the prized left tackle who was yet to see any action this season. We're going to go to D.C. 106.7, the fan in Washington, D.C. Craig Hoffman gives us the latest in a very ugly public NFL dispute. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.